You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, I am so excited because on Walk It Out, we're going to be talking about something that is super special to me. I have gone to a multi-ethnic church here in Little Rock for 10 years and have so many amazing friends. And my mind and my heart has just been open to immigration and some of the struggles um, with people being detained. And there's so many things that we're going to be talking about today. But let me first introduce my guest. Sarah Jackson is the founder and executive director of Casa de Paz, a hospitality home in Denver, Colorado. Casa's family of more than 2,000 volunteers ministers to immigrants and families separated by detention with visits, meals, shelter, transportation, and emotional support through the process of reunification. Sarah's mission is to help end the isolating experience of immigrant detention, one simple act of love at a time. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a great conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I know you're homeschooled, which makes me super excited. I've been homeschooling. So my oldest is 31. So I've been homeschooling for like 26 years. I mean, he was like kindergarten when we started. I love homeschooling. But, you know, just tell us a little bit just about yourself. And then I would love to hear what led you to just opening your heart and just pouring it out to to this great need that you saw? Yeah, so I am a homeschooled kid um, and very proud of it because I think what homeschooling parents do uh, as far as the the time and the emotional labor <laughs> that you yeah. put into giving your kids a great education is very admirable. My mom and my dad both saw the value in teaching us at home. And so my, my dad worked long days as an electrical engineer in Austin, Texas, where I grew up. And then my mom stayed at home with uh, me and my brother and my sister. I'm the middle kiddo. Um, And we lived in the country. So I grew up with gardens and playing Little House on the Prairie in our in our backyard and and learning things that obviously we had to learn as children, Mm -hmm. but also things that we wanted to learn. And, and my, my mom and my dad sacrificed a lot for us. And I think that experience of having such a beautiful family really shaped my response to watching family suffering because of our immigration policies. And so I really give credit, a lot of credit to my mom and dad for setting that example at a very early age of the power and the importance of what family can and and um, did look like for me growing up. 
Yeah, that is so good. And I love when you talk about, you know, the homeschool part of it. There's things you have to learn, but then also you have the ability to explore and learn things and, and grow in your interests. And I think that's one of the beautiful things. How do you think that even prepared you for just be willing to you know take these huge steps of faith that you've taken? So I heard you say that you're in Little Rock. So do you know 4-H? I'm pretty sure you, yes, you uh-huh. do. Yep. Yeah. So I grew up in 4-H. And like I mentioned, we learned things we had to and then things that we wanted to. So half of the day we had our curriculum. And in the other half of our of our learning day, my mom said, well, what do you want to learn about? And let's <laughs> learn about it. So yeah. if we wanted to learn, how did this piece of mail get to our front door? My mom would take us on tours at the post office and we would do research and we would come up with our own ideas and we would see a project through from start to finish. Or if we were reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder series, we would, you know, there, I don't know, but for me, the things that I remember the most about that series was Manny, her soon to be husband. And he had the most delicious meals. Oh my goodness. I know. Yeah. That whole and, book, Farmer Boy, is yeah. like every chapter they're eating something and it makes you so hungry. I know. And my mom would read that to us during lunch. We would always, have, she would always read us a book during lunch. And we would be there with like our peanut butter sandwich and like our stale tortilla chips and <laughs> you know, all of these fantastic meals. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was cook a meal that Manny ate. And we could do that. And we had these creative ideas. And then my mom and dad encouraged us and, and gave us the tools that we needed in order to to do them. And we then one of the apple pies that Manny ate for lunch, we did that in 4-H and we submitted our apple pie entry and we won, you know, the, the grand champion. And then we... <laughs> We did the whole research and writing and, and, and that, I think, really that ability to, to use our, our imaginations and mm-hmm. to find things that really made us come alive at such a young age. I haven't really thought about it until you asked the question, but I do believe that definitely shaped my response to my um, to my calling because I'm, I've never been afraid to have an idea and try it and and I've, I've never been afraid that it would fail because mm-hmm. what's okay the apple pie crust failed all right let's try it again like yeah. and I learned that at a very 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 young age oh I love that so much so I would love to hear like how well I you know I read it <laughs> I'd love for you to share how your your mind and your heart was just open to some of the struggles the immigrants face. Yeah, I like to say this and not not flippantly, but it was a total accident how all of this happened. Yeah. I mean, I know that I am, you know, it is God's plan. And at the same time, the way I see it, it was just totally out of the blue for me. Um, I I grew up, like I mentioned, in a in a Christian home. We were pretty conservative growing up, and we didn't really talk too much about immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, what I heard on the news was that immigrants were coming to our country. They were stealing our jobs. They were they were bringing drugs and selling drugs. And so there were people here living illegally in our country. So, you know, kick them all out and build the wall higher. That's really what the conversation that I heard growing up, not from my parents, but from what I was hearing in the news, yeah. what I was reading in the newspapers and all of that. So that was sort of my mentality growing up. And um, I was about, uh, well, in 20, um, I can't remember exactly the date, but about 13 or 14 years ago, I was working at a church in Colorado Springs and I loved my job. I was the senior and executive pastor's assistant and I did a lot of scheduling, a lot of admin tasks. I loved it. It was a great fit. And one morning I went to the office, opened up my email, and I saw that Catholic Charities had sent an email to our senior pastor, and they were inviting him to go down to the Mexico-Arizona border to put himself in the physical space that immigrants were in and to hear stories of immigrants and and to understand on a personal level, on a one-on-one level, what what their stories were, were why they were coming to the United States and to, to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I checked our pastor's calendar and he was busy the week of the trip. And um, what caught my eye, to be honest, more than an exploratory trip to learn about immigration and, and how does our faith command us to respond when immigrants come to the country we live in. That didn't really catch my eye. But at the very, very bottom of the email, it said it was an all expenses paid trip to Mexico. (laughs) You're like, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm seriously, I thought I seriously saw myself on the beach, getting a tan, like having a pina colada. That's what I thought this trip would be. I don't know why I thought that because the trip clearly said it was Arizona. There's no beach in Arizona, yeah. but but I ended up going on that trip representing the church. Um, what for me, I thought it would just be an adventure and a, a vacation, uh, but God knew that it was something much different because for the first time in my life, I met people who were really affected by our immigration policies. They shared with me their stories. They shared, they invited me into their homes. And and I met people who who were coming to the United States seeking asylum and, you know, had just fled horror in their Uh home country and were coming here to seek safety. I heard their stories. And I also heard stories of immigrants who had just recently been deported from the United States, the only home that they had ever known. And, And it was such a time of my, I mean, my eyes were open to 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 this in, to this complex issue, but really, at the at the end the end of the day, what kept coming back to me was, this is not the way that I would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. This is not the way that I would want my mom to be treated, or my dad, or my brother, or my sister. And in our scriptures, it clearly says to love our neighbor as ourself. And this is not how I consider a very loving response to be. And that just opened up the door for me to start asking questions. 
Yeah, I love that so much. And it makes me think, so my grandma's, so my great grandparents um, came from Mexico. Um, my grandma was born during the Depression. They lived in a boxcar um, in Northern California. And looking back, I'm like, I wish I would know like their story, like what had the how they came and I mean how they even got citizenship I mean all the things I want to know and you know my grandma doesn't know because she was you know she was little and she didn't ask those questions but like there's so many stories and I think until we start like looking around and talking to people and you know going to the church um, that I go to like one of my friends volunteered in our mops group which is mothers of preschoolers um, she talked about she was so excited because she was getting her citizenship and I'm like what <laughs> you're an, yeah. as American as I am and she said that she was brought into the country as a little girl and she didn't even know till her teen years that she wasn't a citizen and she went and you know she was able to get help and get her citizenship and I'm like I never would have known her story if she hadn't you know shared it but it's like so many times unless we're listening and unless we're paying attention we don't know what people are going through and what their stories are and some of the hardships that people face and it's interesting that you share her specific story because i met a gentleman with a very similar story but it ended a lot differently for him on that first trip in the uh, to the border his name is abel and we write about him in the book Mm -hmm. and Abel was brought to the United States as a as an infant. His parents carried him across. It was to no choice of his own. He grew up here. He went to school here. He graduated high school here. And he was 16 years old when he went to his parents and, and asked about getting a driver's license. And that's when they had to have the conversation with him that he was undocumented. Um, he would not be able to ask for a driver's license. And this was his reality. And so, you know, after after that conversation, he was faced with two decisions. One, do I go back to Mexico where I have no memory, mm-hmm. no recollection? And do I do I stay there um, while I apply to come to the United States legally? Or do I stay here in the United States undocumented no ability to have a driver's license, constantly living in fear and in the shadows, so to speak. Um, But for him, the decision wasn't even a hard decision. It was the decision that I would have made. Of course, I'm staying here. This is my home. Right. This is where I grew up. And and that's what he did. And, And he ended up graduating from high school. He started working at a construction company and then kind of, you know, had that that genius spark, the the entrepreneur spark and thought, wait a minute, if I start my own company, I could really um, make a bigger impact in my life. And, and at that time, he had actually married a U.S. citizen and had uh, two, two kids and then his wife was pregnant. So we started a construction company. He paid taxes. They bought a home. They went to church. I mean, they were a member of our community. And then one day, as he's driving to school to pick up his two young children, he looks in the rearview mirror. And um, even though he knew he should not speed in a school zone, and he was actually driving under the speed limit because he knew for him, if he sped in a school zone, that could be the difference between mm-hmm. staying here in the United States with his family or being deported because being on ICE's radar that he's undocumented. So he drove under the speed limit, so not to get pulled over. And when he looked in his rearview mirror and saw the police car behind him with the lights flashing, 
he had no idea why he was being pulled over. And he pulls over, rolls down his window, grabs his registration and insurance. And the police officer came over and, and said, do you know why I pulled you over? And Abel had no idea. His insurance was up to date. His car was registered. He was not speeding. And the police officer said, you were driving under the speed limit in a oh, school wow. zone. Yeah. I've never driven under the speed limit in a no. school zone. <laughs> you know? And so when the police officer asked to see his driver's license, he didn't have a driver's license. He, he couldn't get one. And, um, and then the police officer arrested him. He was put into a local jail um, where then they were found um, the connection, you know, they connected the dots and realized he was here undocumented. Then they reached out to ICE. The local jail reaches out to ICE and says, we have an undocumented immigrant here. And ICE then took Abel to a to an immigrant detention center in Washington state where he grew up. He stayed there for over six months and was trying to fight and, and win his case so that he could stay here with his family. Mm-hmm. He ultimately ended up losing his case, uh, which most immigrants in detention end up losing their case. And he was deported. And I met him at the border on the Mexico side. We were at a shelter for folks who were homeless after being deported. And he told me the story. And honestly, I thought that I wouldn't say I won't say that I thought he was lying to me, but I didn't think it was true. Right. Because nowhere in the in the history of, you know, the United States that we were taught in school, did I ever imagine that someone who had a family who who wanted to be here, who was like I mentioned before, all the things that we we don't hear about in the news, paying taxes, right. never committing a crime, having U.S. citizen wife and U.S. citizen children, that my country could forcibly separate him from his family. Like, I just didn't want to believe that was true. So when I came back after that trip, like I mentioned, I started asking a lot of questions and then I realized Abel's story was not the exception to the case. It was right. more the norm. And that didn't not sit well with me. Yeah. And um, I would love to hear. So when did you decide, like, we need to do something like I need to do something? Because I think so many times we hear something and we're bothered by it. But then trying to figure out what to do is kind of the hard part. So when did you decide, like, I can do something and I can make a difference? I knew on that trip that my life was about to change. I Mm. had that gut feeling and I was so upset about it. (laughs) Yeah. I loved my life before the trip. I loved my schedule. I loved my routine. I loved my family and my friends and my job. I was very content. And so I'm a creature of habit. So to think that my schedule might be changed a little bit, Mm -hmm. my life might be a little different was not okay. And for, and even though I knew in my gut, my life was about to change, I fought for a couple of years while I was still asking questions and getting to know the immigrant community in Colorado Springs and coming up to Denver occasionally, which is about an hour and a half away from Colorado Springs, kind of, you know, it's the biggest city in in Colorado, Mm -hmm. our capital. Um, 
I was in this fight. I, I knew my life was going to change, but then I was like, no, 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 no. And finally, one day I just got tired of saying no, because that was like exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll do it. So I was working at a company at the time and I was working full time and I told them, I'd like to move up to Denver and just kind of put myself in the middle of, of quote unquote, all the action, because there's so many things going on here in Denver every day in, in the immigrant rights community. So I asked them, could I go part time so that I have flexibility and more time in my schedule and I'll still work and, and do my job? And they were very supportive and encouraged me to do it. So I, I made that decision. I, I moved up to Denver a couple years after I, I went on that border trip. And I, I, I didn't know anyone. I had no idea mm. who, 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 who were you know, the, the folks that I needed to know. And, and I, I knew one pastor who was a pastor of an immigrant community or an immigrant sort of um, mainly immigrant church in, in Denver. And I reached out to her and I said, do you have anyone in your congregation who has a, a spare bedroom that I could rent? And, and if they speak Spanish, even better, because I really want to practice, you know, the little Spanish that I had learned in high school. And, and she put out the word to her congregation. And the same day she heard back from uh, two cousins from Guatemala. They uh, had just had their roommate leave the, the two bedroom apartment that they were renting and they were looking for a roommate. Wow. So I thought, yeah, I'm like, this is meant to be. And and they didn't speak heart, you know, any English. And I knew I'm like, perfect, because then we're gonna have to learn how to communicate in Spanish. And so I moved in with them, and they were just the kindest, sweetest couple of cousins. And they taught me how to cook. We went on long walks with their puppy, and and their home just happened to be about two minutes away from the immigrant detention center in Denver. And, and I knew that was not a coincidence. And so one of the things that the faith community here does every month, um, we go to the detention center and we have a prayer vigil where we stand outside the doors of the detention center and we hold the moms and the dads and the brothers and the sisters and the aunts and the uncles and the grandmas and the grandpas who are detained. We hold them in our hearts. We, we hold them in our prayers and it's a time for us to come together and remember them and also remember our responsibility in in creating a, a more just world for for them to live in and for us to live in as well. And and during one of those prayer vigils, someone in, in the crowd mentioned this this place called El Refugio. And, and they said it was a, a hospitality home in Georgia that opened up their doors for families of detained immigrants when they were coming in from out of town to visit them, kind of like the Ronald McDonald House concept. Right. Instead of your family being sick, they are instead held in a detention center. And I knew right away, like this, like right away, that's exactly what I want to do. Mm. And I, it's funny because, you know, obviously for me, the first reason why I knew that it was what I wanted to do 
is because it centered around the family. It was creating a space for families to come in and stay at so that they could visit their family in the detention center. And my family is a, you know, a huge part of my life. And I have this immense privilege to be with them whenever I want wherever I want. And, and how, and I knew, okay, I've got to use that privilege for good, not just waste it. And then, so that was the first reason why it caught my attention because it all, it was about families. But then this is, this is the part that I can laugh about. I heard it and I thought that is going to be so easy. So easy. All you have to do is get a house and let people stay with you. Like, how easy is that? And and it's true. I mean, there is a sense of, you know, naivety because, you know, there are a lot of moving pieces and a lot of details. But really, at the end of the day, it is simple. It's opening up your home. It's inviting people to, to share your space. And and it's um, it was the best decision that I've ever made in my entire life. Oh, I love that so much. And I love how, you know, God doesn't let us know how hard things are going to be before we we set out. And I've, you know, I've helped start crisis pregnancy centers, we've adopted seven kids, you know, I'm like, okay, this, you know, I'm a mom, I know how to do this mom thing. And then he's like, okay, here you go. Try this out. And so I think it is, it's part of his grace that we're like, oh, yeah, you really don't understand. Um, But the cool thing is, is he's there the whole yep. way. It's not like he's like, okay, have fun with this. Um, you know, have a good time. You're going to, you're going to fail and succeed and all the things, but you know, he's there in so many ways. And then also I know with you and in my experiences, he brings people around us that can mm-hmm. love us and support us. And so I would just love to hear like how it, how it started and then where it has gone from there. Well, it's interesting because when I started it, I never, 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 never in a million years would have thought that it would have been an actual nonprofit Mm. with thousands of volunteers, with thousands of guests coming through our home with such an impact, not only in my life, but in in the lives of, of folks who are part of our community. I seriously thought... So when I, I moved, I moved from the cousin's house uh, apartment, then I moved directly across the street from the detention center because I thought, well, this is what I want to do. I need to be close. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I looked for a house so that we could actually live up to the name Casa de Paz, House of Peace. But all of the rent, rent uh, prices, I mean, it was way too expensive for me. I mean, I'm still working at the, at the company part time. I, I couldn't afford that. And so then I thought, well, okay, I'll look for an apartment. And, and I, I'll never forget this. I, I went to the apartment thinking to myself, there is no way, there's no way that they will let me do what I want to do here because Basically, what I'm going to do is run an Airbnb out of my one bedroom apartment, and I don't really know who's coming and going, and it's going yeah, exactly. to be different people all the time. And I was just like, there's no way. But, you know, I, I talked about being a list person and I, an admin person. I, I had it on my list to go and check it out, and I wanted to cross it off my list. So I went over to the apartments that were right across the street, I went to the leasing office. 
I sat down and Kimberly was across the, the desk uh, from me. She's the leasing manager. And I said, um, hey, just curious, how much is a lease for a one bedroom apartment? And what are the terms? Does it include, you know, uh, trash pickup? Just basic questions. And then she, she said, um, at, you know, towards the end of the convo, she said, um, well, how many people will be staying in the apartment? And <laughs> Seriously, you know, like in the movies where there's the like devil on one shoulder and then there's the angel on the other and they're like giving you conflicting messages like the the devil was like, don't tell her she she'll never let you do this. If you if you tell her what you're trying to do, just tell her it's only you. And then over here on, on you know, my my side with the, the angel, the angel's like, you have to tell her. She's going to find out. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has that many friends coming and going all the time. So I just, I just did, you know, I told her the truth. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to live in this apartment. And then I want to open it up for families who are coming into Colorado, specifically Denver, to visit their family who's detained in detention. And I'm serious. I was about to get out of my chair because I figured there's no way she's going to let me do this. She's going to tell me I'm crazy and leave. Uh, But that was not her response. She looked she looked at me and she said, "Okay." And what can I do to support you? Wow. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? What can you do to support me? I mean, like you were saying earlier that God will bring the right people around because in my brain, I'm like, no, it's just going to be me, you know, doing this on my own. And and then I asked her, I said, w- w- why do you want to help? <laughs> and she said, you know what, Sarah, several years ago, I was dating an undocumented immigrant and he was actually detained and put into a detention center. And every weekend I would drive eight hours to go visit him. And eventually I ran out of money because I was having to pay for hotels. I was having to pay for food. I was having to pay for gas. And so I stopped visiting him and we lost touch. And who knows how that story could have ended if I had had a place like this to stay. And so from the very beginning, it was very obvious that that I, I was on the right track and that this was definitely what I was created to do. And, and I'm really grateful that that I put that on my list to check out that apartment because it ended up being the best first start for us. And so I moved in and and I was all ready and all excited and ready to have a family come stay and and put the word out to some of my friends in the in the immigrant rights community here uh, who were in contact with with the detained immigrants and their families. And I and then I just waited Mm. and I waited and I waited and I waited. And then I got a little bit like maybe. I don't know if offended is the right word, but I was like, what the heck? Yeah. Like, God, I'm like doing what you said. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, where are the, where are the families? And and then I just was like, okay, well, it is what it is. And when the family, first family comes, the first family will come. And, and then finally it happened. Um, a family had um, drove in from um, Oklahoma 
it was a mom and her four children, and they were coming into town to visit their their dad, and they hadn't seen him for almost a year. Mm. He was detained in Oklahoma and then transferred over here to to Denver, and and the mom made that really difficult decision. Um, you know, do I do I take my kids to go visit their dad in a prison? You know, when they're going to have that as a as a memory in yeah. their their lives uh, and they're going to see him behind bars in a prison jumpsuit. Do I do that or do I protect them in a sense and keep them here in Oklahoma? And as the days turned into weeks, turned into months, she just knew that that it was um, more important for their kids to see their dad. Mm-hmm. And and at this time, they had been evicted from their home because uh, the father was the the one who brought in you know most of the income through his job, and the mom she ended up taking several jobs cleaning and and doing odds and and kind of things for folks in the community, but but at the end of the day they just couldn't pay their bills, and so they were evicted from their home. And they found an abandoned home on the outskirts of town. There was no running water. There was no electricity. But that's where they lived. And so when they drove in to Denver, they were they were literally looking through the car to gather enough spare change to be able to fill up the, the car tank with gas. Um, and so when they finally made it to Denver... They had no money left over to get a hotel room or to get food. And they were planning to be here for a few days. And someone, I can't remember who, but someone told them about, you know, Casa de Paz uh, and that it was a place they could stay and, and it wouldn't cost them anything. And it was really close to the detention center. So she called me and I was just so excited to finally host a family in the apartment. And I said, yes, please come over. And and I asked where she was and she's she's like, well, we're here at the detention center. We just visited, um, you know, you just visited him. And I said, oh, well, look across the street. Do you see those apartments? That's where we are. So she crossed the street with her kids. Uh, they, they walked in to the apartment and, and they made themselves at home by sitting on the couch. We started talking and, and that was, that was the first day of many days of having folks in and out of, of that, uh, one bedroom apartment, our very beginning days. And, and to look at where we are now, where we have a, an actual home with multiple rooms and, and hundreds of volunteers helping support, um, the folks that we get to meet. It really, I think you're right. God kind of gives us what we can handle at the mm-hmm, time. Yes. If I would have known that this was how it was going to to end up. I don't think that I would have had enough confidence to do it. Right. And I think we need to take those baby steps to build that faith, to build the confidence, to you know build the relationships. And then it grows bigger than we ever expected. <laughs> but it's so cool when he does that. And I would love to hear like where it is now. And then also, I know I was on your Facebook page and watching you know, videos and stuff. And the pandemic has really changed things also. So just I would love to sh- you to share like where you are, um, what's happening and then how have things even changed more recently? Yeah. So after the first few years of hosting families in the apartment and also immigrants who are, were released from the detention center, that was also something I wasn't planning on. Mm-hmm. But because we were so close and going over to the detention center on a regular basis uh, to meet families, 
the guards at the detention center started to to know who I was and we started talking and they started seeing, you know, that I was doing exactly what I said I was doing. There's no ulterior motive. And, and they began to trust me. And so what ended up happening is folks that are being released from the detention center. So let's say they've won their asylum case and they're free or they the immigration judge gave them a bond and their family paid the bond and and now they're released from detention whatever the case is when someone is released from the detention center it's always great news it's a day to celebrate their freedom but it's also a very scary day because for folks who have families in other states and they just happen to get transferred here to Colorado you know, they're released from the back door of that immigrant detention center with no money, mm, wow. with no phone, with no, even if they had a phone, who are they going to call to say, hey, come pick me up? Right. So, and, and, you know, it's a brand new, oftentimes country, because most of the guests that we have uh, are asylum seekers or folks who have won asylum. And so this is their first time in the United States. And and where do you go? Where, who do you ask? You know, how do you get to the bus station? How do you get to the airport? It's a completely new experience for them. So the guards started calling me. And and I'll never forget the very first guest that we had at, at the apartment who was uh, released from detention. Her name uh, was Flor, and she was from Guatemala as well. And she uh, was released in the middle of a snowstorm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And her family. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. Her family was in Arkansas. I'm <laughs> this connection now. So the guard calls me and he's like, hey, Sarah, um, I've got a, a, a young woman here and she won her asylum case and she's being released right now. But her family lives in Arkansas. And could you come pick her up maybe and help her get home? And uh, I, you know, that was that was a surprise to me because I wasn't really expecting that. Um, I'm literally looking outside my window. I can see the detention center. I can see the area of the detention center that the guard is calling me from. So it's not like I could make an excuse like, right. oh, no, <laughs> traffic is just really bad. I don't think I'll be able to get over there. No, um, I was like, OK, so I put on my boots. I walked out the door, walked across the street, walked into the lobby, and it was totally empty except for the officer who had called me and Floor. Oh, wow. And she was there. Yeah, I'll never forget. She was there sitting. She had a plastic bag. Uh, when when immigrants are released from, from this detention center, all of their personal belongings are given to them in this really flimsy pa- plastic bag. And you can imagine that those documents are... Uh, literally, you know, what could save their life because they are, that's the proof that they have won their case and that they were legally released into the community. And and so that is very important documents to keep safe, but they're in this bag that tears open and she was holding that bag in her lap. And I, I walked up to her and I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Sarah. And like, what do you say? Like, come to my house. Like, just... Come with me. Like it was just so uncomfortable, I'm sure, for her and me, but but the best that I could say was, 
uh, my name is Sarah and and this is like in my broken Spanish and and I pointed outside and I showed her that there was snow and I said it, it's really cold outside and and I know that you need to go uh, get to Arkansas I have an extra coat at home I live right across the street would you like to come with me um, to my apartment and and we can figure out uh, how to how to get you home and, and I'll give you an extra coat and her eyes you know she, they lit up and she just felt it was it was almost like this instant knowledge. And and this doesn't surprise me because through the years, so many of the folks who've stayed with us have said, I didn't know you. I didn't know the volunteers, but I knew that God was going to make it okay. Mm. And, and what a, what a humbling experience, right? So she got up, she, we started walking out the doors, headed to the apartment and, um, even though I, I say Denver, the detention center is actually in Aurora, which is a neighboring city. I mean, they're right next to each right. other. Um, and Aurora, I'll just say it like this. It's not well known for being, you know, you think Colorado, you think majestic mountains and beautiful sunsets. And, you know, that's not Aurora. <laughs> Aurora, <laughs> you know, the area, at least where the detention center, it's a very industrial place. It's kind of like lots of dust and dirt, very brown. And, you know, it's just not very it's just not very beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we walk out of the doors of the detention center and then we're about five or six feet outside the doors and she stops, like suddenly just stops. And I'm like, oh, great. Here it is. Like, this is what I was expecting. She's going to say, no, like, I don't know you. I'm not right. going to go to your house. Like, take me back. So I just sort of stopped with her. And then she started looking at, and it was in the middle of a blizzard. So she saw all of the snow and the snow is beautiful in Aurora, no matter where you are. And, yeah. and she said, she said, she stopped and she looked and she said, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. Oh, wow. And I, I was, I felt so proud. I was like, yes, this is beautiful. This is our country. This is our city. This is our state. You, it is a beauty. It, it can be a beautiful mm-hmm. place. So yeah, it took brought her um, over with me to the apartment and, and it was not rocket science, right? We called her family in Arkansas. They looked for a bus ticket. They bought a bus ticket. The next day, we're we're on our way to the bus station. I dropped her off at the bus station, helped make sure she knew where her terminal was, and and we waved goodbye. And I knew that she was about to be home with her family. And that's what we started doing those first few years in the apartment. And then as more and more folks were staying with us, uh, we just simply grew out of space. I mean, there were times where we we had guests sleeping on the floor, yeah, um, literally under the kitchen table. We were just so cramped for space. And so where we are right now is we've moved from the one-bedroom apartment to an, an actual home. Uh, we have multiple rooms in the house. Um, one is for families who stay with us. Another room for the men who have been released from detention another room for the women who have been released from detention. And um, we also have a room for our host family, um, Oliver, um, and his uh, family that live there and and help take care of all of our guests. I actually moved out of the CASA last year. My brother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, Mm. unfortunately. 
and he lived about an hour away from the casa. So I, I moved out and I moved kind of in the middle between my brother and the casa just so I could be closer to him. Uh-huh. Um, but that's, that's where we are located now in an actual, a larger home. And even though the pandemic has put a little bit of a a twist on how we do hospitality, the same kind of hospitality that we were offering before the pandemic, we still offer now, but it just looks a little different. So instead of having dozens or sometimes hundreds of people in and out of the CASA every month, um, what we do is our volunteers, for example, tonight, we have a team of two volunteers so we have fewer volunteers during the pandemic just so that, you know, the fewer amount of people um, right. interacting with folks as possible. But on Fridays, we typically see more people being released than on like a Monday or a Tuesday. So on Fridays, we send two volunteers out. Um, we we show up every day at the exact same time. So the guards, the officers, the lawyers, the judges, they all know at this certain time, Casa de Paz volunteers will be there and they will wait until they know that nobody else is being released from the detention center. So we're not going to leave without getting everyone who has been released, um, you know, uh, making contact with them. And then um, the team tonight, first they'll go into the lobby and they'll ask the lobby officer if anyone has been released um, that needs to uh, be picked up by a CASA volunteer. And sometimes there are folks in the lobby waiting or folks outside waiting. Um, and then if if they say, no, no one's been released yet, we ask them to call um, what's called intake. And intake is responsible for releasing immigrants. And so they'll call intake and see is anyone currently being released that we need to wait for? And if the answer is yes, then our volunteers will wait for those folks to be released and meet them. They are released um, through the back door, which is really disorienting because there's no clear signage for them on where to go. Do you go left? Do you go right? Do you go straight? Um, And it's like I mentioned before, uh, for some folks, a lot of folks, it's their very first time in the United States. and, And there were times where, um, I, I had guests, st- uh, you know, in my car as we were driving to the Casa and, and they'd look at the stoplights, right? Like the red, the yellow, the green. And they asked me, well, what are those colors for? What do they mean? Wow. Um, yeah. Or folks who had never ridden in a car that had a seatbelt, you know, and, and they didn't know how to put their seatbelt on. And so it's so important that that folks can come alongside the folks who are being released and um, not as, you know, uh, the, oh, I'm here to save you. It's more, it's literally we're standing right beside you and we're taking your first steps of freedom together and we're going to make sure that you get to where you need to go safely. And we're doing this because, you know, at the end of the day, for me personally, why I'm doing this is, is because my faith not only, you know, says it's a good idea, but it's, it's a command. It is a command that I love my neighbors as I love myself. And, and that is what is um, shaping, you know, my, not only my responsibility as a human being, but, but also my, my passion about it and my drive for it, because it is really, um, for me, the, the best way that I know how to live out my faith. 
Yeah. And I think so many times, you know, we read the Bible and we hear the sermons and it's like, you know, um, care for the orphans and the widows and the alien and I mean, all the different things, which means someone not from our country, not like aliens from outer space. But it's it's just like we read over and that was a good sermon. And then we go home. And I, I know, I mean, personally, God convicted us and we have, you know, we've adopted seven kids. My grandma lives with us. And, um, you know, I think anytime we get to those passages, we need to pause and say, what am I supposed to do? What can I do? And I love, you know, you have so many volunteers and I'm sure, um, you know, if we had more time, you could go into all the different ways people can volunteer and that they do volunteer. But I think personally, we need to, you know, just take God's word and say, this is, like you said, a command. This is something yeah. you are asking of us. It's just not a good idea. Like there's, <laughs> there's a reason. And part of it is when we are letting his love flow through us to other people, we are experiencing him in ways we never imagined. And I think yeah. that's part of it too. Like God wants us to care for other people, for other people, but he also has so much for us in it. Um, oh my God. And like, I could see like your life has completely changed and I'm sure you could share so much of how God has transformed you through this, but God has good plans for you, even as he has good plans for other people. Yeah. And yesterday, so we started uh, with the, with the volunteer community. It is a very special family um, Mm. and we love to see each other. We love to be around one another. We love to have meals together. We love to just, you know, be together. And the pandemic has put a big, you know, squash on that for now. Yeah. So started a weekly zoom call where we can hop on a video call and we can see each other's faces and we can just, you know, connect because a lot of us are missing that. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, uh, it was a, it was a big surprise. Um, one of the uh, gentlemen um, who was released from the detention center, he had he had just won his asylum, and and our volunteer uh, went to go pick him up, and and he's in the process of making plans to get home to his sponsor, and and in the middle of that, he's staying at a hotel, which we've uh, arranged for him, and he joined us on that video call. Oh, so fun. Was- was and he he really set the tone for the night and he was asking questions and he was encouraging us he was he was quoting scripture that I didn't even know the stories existed like and uh, it was like it's true because here you know sometimes still we have this like I or me I'll speak for myself I have this idea of like oh you know Giddy or um I, I don't want to say his name just for because I haven't asked him to share that right. but I'll say um G you know joined us on this call and and I just never thought at the end of the call he said and granted, remember, he doesn't know really any of the volunteers in the call. He knew a little bit about me because he was asking some questions, but he had this courage um, and he said, is it okay if I pray for us? Mm. And I was like, of course. And, and, and he prayed and it was just this beautiful prayer of God. He he was asking God to protect our volunteers from the crown of our head to the sole of our feet. And that God would remember even, even just one act of kindness that our volunteers have done throughout the years and that he would protect us. And, and, um, 
And it was, for me, one of the highest compliments is when someone bring, we don't, I mean, we're not there at the detention center or through the visitation program, you know, with a Bible in our hand and and holding it up and saying, this is what I believe, right? Like that, that, that just happened naturally yesterday. And, and G, our guest felt that. And he was comfortable to pray with us. And that's such a huge honor that he was the one to initiate that conversation. And it opened the door for us to have that versus, you know, maybe a more um, forceful way of speaking about our faith. You know, it was it was a moment that I will I will remember for a long time. Yeah, because, you know, God's love is seen even if we're not, you know, quoting Bible verses or all those things. They can see it and they can feel it. And I I would love that so much. Well, Sarah, I have enjoyed this so much. I love what you're doing. Um, Where can people find more information about you and the book? Oh, we haven't even mentioned. Have we even mentioned what the name of your book is? Go ahead and and share that. And then where can they find out more information? The name of the book is The House That Love Built. And you can go to our website, which is Casa de Paz, Colorado.org. I know that's a long, a long thing to remember. So maybe you can put that in the in the description of the podcast potentially. Yes, absolutely. Um, We'll have the links and everything in there. Yeah. Cool. Yes, you can go to our website. More information about the book is there. We also have included some um, pre-order freebies, including um, recipes of some of the guests who have stayed with us, recipes from their home countries. And um, you can you can read their stories. You can cook meals from their um, from their their uh, personal lives, what what food they love to, to, to eat. We also have an, an interactive exhibit called Julia's Journey, where mm. you can join a mother in Central America as she makes these really hard decisions to to leave her home uh, to protect her 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 son uh, from from the violence and and their experience not only coming to the United States but but being separated at the border um, her being detained in a detention center alone um, and learn some not not only hear their story, but learn a little bit more about immigrant detention as well. And one thing that I'm really, really excited about that's going to be on the website um, is a, a study guide that will help guide conversations as you read the book. Because I, I know for me, one of the things that, that was um, the most helpful after my border trip was to find a place where I could have questions mm-hmm. and ask questions that I thought maybe wouldn't come out very well, but that it was a safe place for me to ask those questions. So the study guide is meant to, you know, if you, if you read the book with a friend or with your small group or with your church to, you know, to, to prompt um, ideas and to um, encourage folks to, to, to sit with what they're learning and to, to hear what is, what does God want me to do with this now? So those are, all of that can be found on the website. I love it. And we'll, we will have the links to all of that. Um, and I just thank you for being here. I thank you for what you're doing. And um, I cannot wait for this book to get in more people's hands so they can get involved too. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was really nice. Okay, friends. How cool 
was that. I could have listened to Sarah share stories all day. I'm sure for the stories that she shared, she'd probably have hundreds more that she can share. And what I love, why I named this podcast Walk It Out is because I want to encourage people to take those steps of faith. I love how she's like, I have an apartment, I'm going to welcome people in. And it didn't like, it wasn't the next day, not even the next week, but pretty soon God brought the people that she needed to connect with. She opened her home and those little steps grew into bigger steps. And now thousands and thousands of people have a place to go, um, somewhere to just know that they are cared for and loved and provided for and to be helped to reconnect with their families, which is so cool. And I love that um, Sarah, as a, you know, a young girl, her parents just gave her the opportunity to try new things and learn new things. And then as a result, she's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. And so many people, their lives have been changed and helped and supported because she was willing to take those steps of faith. And I think so many times when we feel God calling us to take steps of faith, we think, first of all, um, why me? Second of all, because I've been there. This is, this is from experience. First of all, why me? Second, it's too big for me. The problem is too big. So we think we don't know what to do. And like she had a bedroom. She had you know, people slept on the floor and under the tables. Like it's not like she had everything lined up. That even those small steps are amazing and God can use those. And then we often forget that it's not just us alone, that if God puts it on our hearts, he's probably going to put it on someone else's heart. So I remember when I helped start um, Hope Pregnancy Center in Kalispell, Montana, it was me and two other ladies and like cell phone um, that they would carry around and meet people at the church to do pregnancy tests. And we had our first training to get more volunteers and 35 people were there. And it was just God showing me like, I just needed you to take those first steps and I had all these people who could help. And now we don't even live in Montana, but the pregnancy center up there, Hope Pregnancy Ministries, they have medical clinics. They have a um, traveling clinic that can go around to all these small communities and do ultrasounds and tests and help people support. They have so many resources. And it was me taking that first step. And just like Sarah taking the first step to say, I can do something. I can offer someone my coat and a meal and a ride to the bus stop. Um, it's amazing how those little steps can grow and grow and people want to be involved. And so if you feel God calling you to do something, know that he will be there, he will provide, and he will be with you every step of the way. And I think he wants to show up in us. He wants us to connect with the community. He wants us to help and serve other people, but we just have to be willing. So um, the walk it out verse for today is actually walk it out verses. So these are Matthew 25, 43, through 45. So Matthew 25, 43 through 45. And this is in the New Living Translation version. Um, And this is Jesus um, sharing this. And he says, I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. 
that is, I'm going to read this last line again. I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of, of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And that is just like a punch in the gut. Because I think so many times we think, well, I'm not refusing to help. Like I'm doing this and my life is busy. But if we're not doing something, then we are refusing. If we can do something and we don't, then it is like we're turning our back on God. So that is a hard, hard scripture. But that's what the Word of God says. It tells us that we need to care for the least of these. And God is with us when we knew when we do. So just think about today, like who can you reach out to a neighbor, a friend, maybe you want to connect with Sarah and, um, you know, pick up the book, of course, but also um, I'm sure she would love, you know, to just give her encouragement, send a financial donation, let her know that you care about what she's doing. And we're going to have links to her website on um, walkitoutpodcast.com. So you can do that. But let me just pray for us. Um, God, so many times you have these plans for us that involve stepping out of our comfort zone. And I know that is the hardest thing, the scariest thing. We want to be comfortable. We want to know that everything's going to be okay. And with all this going on in the world right now, I think the thing that we can totally know is that we will never figure out our future. We, we will never be able to be completely safe and to keep our family completely safe and to not step out into dangerous territory because the world is unpredictable. And so the thing we do know is that you want us to care for those in need. You want us, like your scripture says, Lord, to be with those that are hungry and thirsty, a stranger, those that are naked or sick or in prison, you want us to reach out to those people and you know the future. So while it may seem uncertain and uncomfortable, you know that um, with you, you will provide for all our needs. And so I just pray for those. Maybe you're stirring the heart of someone who's listening that they're thinking of someone right now, Lord, I just pray that they will just be encouraged to take one tiny little step, whether it's posting a message on Facebook or sending a card in the mail or reaching out to someone who might need encouragement today. Um, I pray that that will just sit heavy on their hearts in a way that's not a burden, but just an encouragement to step out and do something in your name to show your love to other people today. I pray for Sarah Jackson. I pray for um, Casa de Paz and that you will just bless all the volunteers. I pray that people will continue to see your love pour through the volunteers and that lives will be changed, families will be reunited, and that this model will spread across the country as all of us realize that we can help people, um, that we can love people in amazing ways. I just thank you so much for her and her ministry and for the opportunity to, to talk to her today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friend, thank you so much for tuning in. I love that I have the chance to just sit down and talk with these people that are stepping out and doing amazing things for God. I love that I can share their stories and that other people may be encouraged. So again, the name of the book is The House That Love Built. It is so um just riveting from the first page. I was, uh, you know, sitting at a baseball game and completely, or baseball practice and completely caught up in Sarah's stories. And she shares some of them today. And there's even more in the book of what God can do when we dare to step out and to serve him and to love in amazing ways. So 
be sure to go to walkitoutpodcast.com. You will see the graphic for Sarah and then all the ways to connect with her will be in those show notes. We call them show notes, but the more I do them, they turn almost into blogs sharing more hope and inspiration because I kind of am just a wordy person sometimes. But you can find encouragement there. Connect with Sarah. Share this with a friend. Maybe you have a friend that doesn't fully understand immigration and doesn't understand that some people truly come for asylum and some people, um, you know, are just are just trying to, um, you know, stay in the life they need. Maybe they were brought here as a child. A lot of people don't understand and we just have certain opinions of what an illegal immigrant means. So share this with a friend. And um, just know that whatever we um, believe about policy, that we still can be loving people who share the love of God with others. And I love that Sarah is doing that. So you could always find me at the website, walkitoutpodcast.com on iTunes. You could look for Trisha Goyer, Walk It Up Podcast, and on any podcast app. You can also just put in my name, Trisha Goyer. I just pray you will have a wonderful week and that you will be encouraged. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.